This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review. We are talking about surfactants today. Daphna, how are you? I'm doing good. We're doing. It. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're really. Um, I feel like you know. Um, I hate the analogy now that I'm thinking about it. But like you know, when when the the explorers are exploring the the jungle and they have these machetes and they're just hacking away the branches, making way for them. <laughs> like I feel like that's what we're doing. Like we're making. We're, we're getting we're, there. We're carving the path. We're making headway. Yeah. So yesterday we talked about Lisa, we talked about administering surfactant through a thin catheter, and we had left off at the end of the review of the Cochrane review that showed that Lisa was better for death or BPD, was better for the need for intubation, was better for um, uh, was better for severe IVH, was better for BPD. Um, and so since the publication of this review, it really hasn't stopped the publication of more studies on LISA and administration of surfactant via thin catheter. And while we don't really have the luxury of presenting everything to you guys that's been published, even though we try to cover a lot of these studies on the main incubator channel during journal clubs, I think there's a few that are important to highlight. Okay. And I think the first one is the Optimist trial that was published in December 2021 in JAMA. And to be fairly honest with you, I forget if we reviewed that on the podcast. It was such a long time ago. I but think we did. I think we may have. But anyway, I'm going to review this here because it's important. So the Optimus trial is, is a big trial that basically tested the hypothesis that LISA administration would reduce the incidence of death or BPD in preterm infants. So taking a stab really at uh, the conclusions that we just discussed in the Cochrane review and try to really focus a full study on this. They enrolled very small infants that were between 25 and 28 and six weeks of gestation. The infants were basically randomized to either LISA or a sham procedure. I actually, you're right, we did cover that study. I don't know why I'm, I'm even thinking about that. But, um, which, which is, a, I think that's a, I think we spoke about that on the podcast and it's a very important point, right? That kids either got LISA or a sham because, um, they only gave surfactant to the controls once they were intubated and not before via insure, as far as I know. So the study included 485 infants. The study found no differences uh, in the outcomes of death or BPD between the groups. Uh, the, the, the outcomes of death or BPD was 43.6% in the LISA slash MIST group versus 49.6 in the control group. The incidence of death before 36 weeks of gestational age did not differ significantly between the groups. It was 10% in the missed group, 7.8% in the controls. The incidence of BPD in survivor to 36 weeks postmenstrual age, however, was lower in the missed group, 37.3% versus 45.3% in the control group. And um, this is where really you can start having a discussion about the methodology and, um, and, and because 
of the way the study was designed, it led an, a significant number of babies to require mechanical ventilation in the control group. And, and then you see that because when they are actually reporting the duration of mechanical ventilation between the two groups, you see that the duration of mechanical ventilation in the group that was the control, right, that got the sham procedure was much longer. So I think it was one day in the missed group versus four days in the control group. And we know that that's a direct correlation to your developing of BPD. Um, and the range was quite, was from like up to 13 days, whatever. It just, it's just something to think about, right? Serious adverse events uh, occurred in 10.3% of the missed group compared to 11.1% of the control groups. So that's an important study that uh, people should be aware of. Um, the, the rates, uh, the, um, Yeah. So I mentioned, right, I did mention that um, the rates of BPD were lower, right? Mm -hmm. So the data comes in, in is aligned with the Cochrane review on the outcome of BPD alone, right? But um, was not in, was in contradiction when it comes to death or BPD. So if you recall, when it comes to death or BPD, the Cochrane review had found that Lisa was better. But this, the Optimus trial did not find any difference. But for BPD, it did confirm that BPD was reduced in the group that received Lisa. Another important study was published not too long ago, and I found this in JAMA Open in August of 2022, and that I'm pretty sure we haven't covered on the podcast. And it comes from the German team, the same German team that we said had published the initial trials on Lisa. And the study is called Association of Administration of Surfactant using less invasive methods with outcomes in extremely preterm infants less than 27 weeks of gestation, and it's by Hart and colleagues. These German guys on the LISA are like rock stars, right? I mean, they're, they're, the, they're the group. Um, and so the study analyzed the short-term outcome data of 2,534 LISA-exposed infants between 22 and 26 weeks within the German neonatal network collaborative. So that's that's data that's that's hot data <laughs> um and it comes from one of the most experienced groups in the field of of less invasive surfactant administration so they looked at a variety of outcomes the main outcomes they looked at were rates of lisa use use of mechanical ventilation within the first three days and that was actually considered failure of lisa meaning if you had to be intubated within 72 hours association of lisa with outcomes including death from all causes bpd death and bpd combined pneumothorax retinopathy of prematurity ivh and pvl their study included a total of over 6000 infants with a gestational age of 22 to 26 weeks and after all the exclusion criteria um they they uh they actually the, the study did include over 6,000 infants, but um, but the babies who received LISA was 20, about 2,500. And what they say is that these 2,500 infants, they said they received LISA, and I quote, in a quasi-prophylactic approach during delivery room management, which is quite interesting because that's um, that's that's taking taking it really one step further and doing it already in the delivery room. And so their outcomes were very, very impressive. So when it comes to mechanical ventilation, 53.6% of the LISA group did not require mechanical ventilation in the first three days, compared with 8.3% of the babies who did not receive uh, LISA. So 
it could be quite confusing, but they're looking at the kids who did not require mechanical ventilation. So 54% didn't need to be on the vent compared to only 8% in the kids who did not receive LISA. LISA was associated with reduced risk of all-cause death with an odds ratio of 0.74, was associated with reduced risk of BPD, odds ratio of 0.69, and of the outcome of BPD or death compared to the infants without LISA. In the case of um, BPD, just to give you some numbers, the rates of BPD were 31.4% in the LISA group. And in the babies who received uh, surfactant through in tube, it was 44.7%. Um, what else can I tell you? You've covered a lot. Yeah. So due to the success uh, experienced in Germany, LISA and minimally in, and, and surfactant administration through a thin catheter has really a broad acceptance in yeah. Europe. And surfactant administration with this method has received an indication throughout the European Union countries by the National Authorization Procedure. Spe specially designed catheter for the LISA procedure have also received European conformity approval. You need to silence your phone, ma'am. It's off. It was an alarm. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, listen, people. This is this is a casual conversation. You know, we we're we're not. Uh... I mean, real talk. This is my alarm to wake me up when I fall asleep, tucking in my little. <laughs> so, so it's set for everything. Uh, so, um, so yeah. So there, there's even like uh, approval in Europe for the specific Lisa catheter. In 2019, both the UK and the European consensus guidelines recommended this mode of surfactant administration because of its minimally invasive nature and potential impact on care. The beneficial effects of the non-invasive method have also been noted by the Canadian Pediatric Society as surfactant replacement guidelines updated in 2021 noted that non-invasive methods of surfactant administration such as LISA or minimally invasive surfactant therapy are preferable. And in the US... It's not, I don't, I haven't really found anything that says that this should be the preferred mode, but it has gained significant uh, acceptance within the community uh, in the US as well. So um, I hope I've presented enough data to show that LISA has been extensively studied. It has great outcomes. It's not inferior at the very least to other modes of administration of surfactant. It's definitely in certain cases superior um, so yeah, so this is where we're going to leave it off for Lisa. Okay. I have a few more things I wanted to talk about. Number one is salsa. Mm -hmm. So salsa is something that our friend Prem Fort is a big fan of and has written a lot about. Um, there's a great Neo Reviews article, which we'll post on the website that actually goes over salsa and is co-authored by Prem. Uh, it's a great article. You should, you should read it. And it's basically salsa stands for surfactant administration through laryngeal or supraglottic airway. So an LMA basically, right? You put an LMA in and you infuse surfactant. So in the mid 2000s, the first reports of surfactant administration via an LMA were published. In these reports, all the infants showed clinical improvement, which provided, I guess, some traction for this new technique of surfactant administration. There was even some animal data that I saw. Um, the first times, I mean, the first publications really were, were case reports. But um, so it was, it was 
initially published in the forms of case report, but multiple studies came out after that. And these studies focused on comparing surfactant administration via an LMA to either nasal CPAP alone or intra. Again, in the interest of time, I'm going to go straight to the most re recent meta-analysis, uh, the meta-analyses, I guess, that were referenced mm -hmm. in this Neo Reviews article from 2021. So the article re references two meta-analyses, one by Calivo and colleagues and one by Al-Ali and colleague. And it basically covers five studies, 307 newborns in the first one, six studies, 357 newborn in the second one. And they basically evaluated the installation of surfactant by means of, an, of a supraglottic uh, airway device. And basically, the analyses found that the administration of surfactant through this method increased uh, non-invasive ventilation success, reduced the incidence of both intubation and mechanical ventilation when compared to the nasal CPAP group alone. And basically, one big, the bottom line is, it's a very valid way of giving surfactant. It's perfectly equal, but but the big limitation of this technique is that an LMA is not available in every size, so it's hard to test in the smaller gestation. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so yeah, I think the access to the actual device itself might be the biggest barrier to this technique uh, gaining in popularity, especially in the lower gestation. But I have to say, in a big IDM baby, and if you have the LMA, it's mm -hmm. perfectly fine. It's a great way of giving surfactant, I yeah. think. Okay, a few more things. Aerosolized surfactant. This could have been a whole journal club, mm -hmm. but basically we can, there's been papers that have been published about aerosolizing surfactant. One important study in the topic, I think was published in 2020 in pediatrics by Cummings and colleague. And the study is called aerosolized calfactant for newborn with respiratory distress, a randomized trial. Importantly enough, this was industry funded. But in this pragmatic study, they basically gave InfoSurf calfactant in nebuliz nebulization to infants with mild to moderate RDS in the first 12 hours of life. I didn't know how they gave uh, aerosolized surfactant. So basically, you have like an interface on the nose, which is your CPAP. And then they have this sort of thing that they put in the mouth of the baby and it's connected mm -hmm. to a tube. And basically, the aerosolized surfactant go through there. Um, I'll post a picture of what was in the paper on the, in the, in the presentation. The dose of surfactant was interesting as it was different than what we're used to because they gave 6 ml per kilo. So as you remember, we do like 2.5 ml per kilo for surfactant, but this was a much larger dose. And among the 22 NICUs, 457 infants were enrolled. The gestational age ranged from 23 to 41 weeks, birth weight from 595 to 4,800 grams. And in the total, they basically had 230 infants that were assigned to the aerosolized surfactant. And the rates of intubation for surfactant installation were 26% in the aerosolized group and 50% in the usual care group. The respiratory outcomes up to 28 days, 28 days of age were not uh, different. Um, and so that's that to me is very encouraging because it, it removes this whole technical aspect, right, of intubating or mm -hmm. putting the catheter. Because <clears throat> the other thing we haven't talked about is Lisa requires some expertise to, to pass that catheter through the vocal cords, yeah. past the vocal cords. So these results were quite encouraging. And the following year, a meta-analysis in pediatrics as well on this technique was published. The article is authored by Gartner and colleagues, and it's called Surfactant Nebulization to Prevent Intubation in Preterm Infants, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. 
the analysis searched all randomized control trial, quasi-randomized control trial of babies born less than 37 weeks, comparing nebulized surfactant with any control group, i.e. non-invasive support, no respiratory support, or intratracheal surfactant application. Primary outcome was intubation rate at 72 hours after birth, and there were a lot of secondary outcomes. I don't have time to go through them. <laughs> Nine studies were included, a thousand, about 1,100 infants met inclusion criteria, and nebulized surfactant compared with standard care significantly reduced intubation rates at 72 hours from four, by, by about 13%, so 40% in the nebulized group, 53.2% in the regular group. Pre-specified subgroup analysis identified important heterogeneity surfactant. Nebulized surfactant was most effective in infants who were above 28 weeks of gestation with a um, pneumatically driven nebulizer and infant receiving over 200 milligram per kilo and animal-derived animal surfactant. No difference were found in neonatal morbidities or mortality. Uh, it reduced the rate of intubation in preterm infants with a higher efficacy for these specific subgroups that we mentioned that were a bit larger in gestational age. Um, and they acknowledged in that meta-analysis that the quality of the evidence was low. So it was interesting to see that in that meta-analysis, really th there was at least with, it's, I still think it probably needs more patients, to be honest. Nine mm -hmm. studies feels like uh, we could do more, but it did identify that babies who were above 28 weeks and above, if you give them a higher dose, they had better outcomes. I think that was very helpful because as this, this technique rolls out, it's important right. to know who could benefit the most out of it and that maybe that's not what you want to use for a 22-weeker. I have to say also that when we post a picture of the apparatus, like you can understand why you need quite a big baby <laughs> because it's a lot of stuff <laughs> it's a lot of stuff to strap on the nose on the mouth it's not a lot of real estate agreed okay we're running out of time yeah i guess i'm going to talk about two more things the first one i wanted to talk about pulmonary hemorrhage because it's something that we always hear about do we give surfactant mm -hmm. for pulmonary hemorrhage and i think and the one the other one was meconium aspiration so Interestingly enough, there's a nice uh, Cochrane review about pulmonary hemorrhage that's published in 2020 by Aziz and Olson. And the conclusion of the review is that they could not find any randomized or quasi-randomized trial that evaluated the effect of surfactant in pulmonary hemorrhage. Because if you've had to deal with a pulmonary hemorrhage, who ran <laughs> right? That's I was right. thinking about, I was like, as the kid is having a pulmonary hemorrhage, you're going to randomize them to yeah. one. It's like, that's, hold on that's, a second. Right? <laughs> But uh, it is something that people have described being used in pulmonary hemorrhage, but there's not a lot of evidence. Um, there's so, so that's what the Cochrane Review mentions. It says, hey, there's a bunch of observational studies. Um, and they, they say them, there's like this one retrospective case series of 15 neonates uh, with surfactant following pulmonary hemorrhage. And they noted improvement in the oxygen index following surfactant treatment. Uh, another uh, study gave surfactant to 26 of uh, neonates with uh, pulmonary hemorrhage that happened soon after birth, and they saw a good response defined as a vent ventilatory index of less than 0.047 at one hour after surfactant administration. Um, and they saw that taking place in like 80% of their cases. No neonate died or developed BPD. So there is practical evidence that you can use it, but you won't find like a nice RCT. And so, oh, yeah. yeah. So, so the only evidence we have to support the use of surfactant in pulmonary hemorrhage is observational and case reports or case series uh, that have been described. Finally, <clears throat> let's talk about 
surfactant in meconium aspiration. And there's a 2014 review called surfactant for in the Cochrane library uh, called surfactant for meconium aspiration syndrome in term and late preterm infants authored by El Shahed and colleagues. So the point of the review is to elucidate whether surfactant could, in the case of meconium aspiration syndrome, have some effect on the primary outcome of mortality. And there's a litany of secondary outcomes that are included. And that includes treatment with ECMO, pneumothorax, uh, PIE, um, other forms of air leaks, duration of mechanical ventilation, duration of oxygen, need for supplemental oxygen at discharge, chronic lung disease, IVH, severe IVH, duration of hospital stay, so, death or chronic lung disease, neurodevelopmental fault. Anyway, tons of outcomes. They looked for randomized uh, trials comparing surfactant treatment to routine management in late preterm and term infants with MAS. And four randomized control trial met inclusion criteria, which was about 326 infants. Interestingly enough, the results showed no statistically significant effect on mortality. The risk of requiring ECMO was significantly reduced in a meta-analysis of the of two trials. One trial reported statistically significant reduction in the length of hospital stay. There were no statistically significant reduction in any other outcomes studied, whether it was duration of assisted ventilation, duration of oxygen, pneumothorax, PIE, air leaks, chronic lung disease, need for oxygen, etc. And so the authors basically conclude that in infants with meconium aspiration uh, syndrome, surfactant administration may reduce the severity of respiratory illness and decrease the number of infants who progressively get worse and require ECMO. Um, but these findings do not address how surfactant basically in combination with other treatment, right, such as inhaled nitric oxide, um, surfactant lavage, like how if you combine different treatments, how that would impact outcomes and that re really remains to be tested. Okay. A whirlwind. Man, that was a lot of work. <laughs> anyway, I hope that was helpful. I and I guess we'll see you all tomorrow for questions. Sounds good. All right. See you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.